and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since I last released an episode of this. That's in part because uh, the world has started turning again uh, to a degree and the day job has picked up, which is great. Um, but I have been speaking to people in this time and the person I want to introduce to you uh, this week is Fiona Proven of Carve at Foot Dairy. Now, what I normally do when I do these interviews, I say, I'll oh, just, just introduce yourself to the person and they'll give me a short pricey of their CV and, and I'll kind of try and put that in, a, in as pithy a, a way as possible for this introduction. And I thought something similar would happen with Fiona. It didn't. And actually, I, I feel like this is a two-parter for the simple reason that the bit that, the bit that is Fiona's life that leads up to Calf at Foot Dairy is as important, if not more important, than the Calf at Foot Dairy, which I wanted to speak to her about in the first place. It's why the Calf at Foot Dairy exists. It's why she practices the form of agriculture that she does. It's why she uses perhaps specific empathy above anything else to make her decisions on the farm. And I wanted to keep all of that in. And I wanted to introduce you, those who don't know her, to a really brilliant, empathetic, kind, complex, funny, mad, brilliant woman uh, who is Fiona. And I felt really privileged to uh, talk to and listen to her making these podcasts. And so I didn't want to cut much out, really. I I've sort of tweaked it a bit here and there to, to, I don't know, cut out some of the swearing. Not all of it, though, Fiona, sorry. And uh, cut out some of my questions, which weren't really needed. And, and also just to, just to tighten the narrative for you. Um, but really it's all there and I hope you get an image of the person who she is and then next time uh, we'll get to Carfoot Foot Dairy and why it's important and why what she does is so different. Um, I just wanted to read something to you quickly that she put in an email to me and I think it kind of sums her up and sums up a part of what I think she hopes her legacy for Carfoot Foot Dairy will be. So here we go. If your gut doesn't agree with your parents or teachers or the government, trust your gut. Stay away from the naysayers, but when you succeed, remember them when you retell your story to encourage others to follow their dreams too. Find a trusted friend as a sounding board who believes in you. A decent friend doesn't expect you to reciprocate. Try not to feel guilty or in debt. Always remember someone has helped them out on their way. They know you will pay it forward. That is their reward, and on it goes. So, with no further ado, I want to introduce you to Fiona Proven of Carfoot Foot Dairy. My father was a vet. Um, he specialised in, he was a Scottish man, he was a very sort of hard, bad-tempered Scotsman. Um, very scary, everyone was terrified of him, he was pretty ferocious. They were both from sort of farming stock. My father's father was a cattle dealer in Scotland, in Paisley, and he went to the Royal Veterinary College in Glasgow. He uh, came down and he opened up his practice in Hertfordshire, single-handed, and as we grew up, we had to help. Our neighbours were dairy farmers. We lived on the edge of, of an estate, a bit like where I am now, and um, the tenant farmers, a bit like myself, they were very small dairy, traditional family dairy farmers, and I just basically fell in love with the cows. They used to walk the cows around the meadows. We lived on the water meadows. I was a very, very, very very naughty girl at school. I didn't do anything at school at all. The, the deputy head took me under her wing for some reason and she was a brilliant geography teacher and we did um, 
you know, the rivers and we did a permanent pasture and water meadows and all mm. that. And obviously it sort of reminded me of the cows and those girls, that marriage split up and he lost his farm. He lost his tenancy. And so those girls are left, the cows all left. The bulldozers came in and grubbed up all the hedgerows and everything was gone. It was just a huge, big prairie farmland, big field. And they tried to crop it now. So I hardly ever go down there because I don't like going down there. But I've noticed I actually put cows back on it. There seems to be a cycle happening, doesn't there? You mentioned, you know, the sort of uh, rotational grazing and strip grazing, things like that. These are not, they're, they're sort of almost being touted as new ideas. And actually, they're, they're, they're really not. Exactly. And that's what is really weird, the way that grabbed me. You know, I was so naughty and I was so disinterested at school um, and just couldn't, I just didn't want to be there. I just wanted to be outside with the birds and the cows and the fields. And yet when they were talking about, you know, the feudal systems and then rotational grazing and the legumes and the peas and the nitrogen fixing and all that stuff, mm. it's really crazy because, you know, how that grabbed me. And now I, it, it has come round full swing and now I'm thinking, bloody hell, that was something that I did at school and I did get uh, quite a good grade in that exam, but I didn't really take any O-levels or anything. I don't know where I was. I remember the careers teacher saying, what on earth are you going to do? And I just said, well, I, I don't know. I just don't I want to be. And I remember saying, thinking, I want to tell her I want to be outside with the birds. And I used to worry stupidly about animal welfare on the farms. Dad was brutal with the animals. And that's why the farmers liked him. And the cows used to, we used to say the cows used to quiver because he had big forearms as well. And the farmers did, you know, they were terrified of him. They practically saluted when he came into the farmyard. And if they didn't have their uh, cow in a crush ready, you know, it'd be furious to be sitting there hooting his horn, you know. And they'd obviously used us. We used to, I used to use me to, you know, help round up the cows and stuff. So that was a brilliant experience going on so many different farms. So how, how did you go from so sort of you know leaving school and secretarial college to, to where you are now because now you, you you know you run your own dairy business and we'll talk more about that because it's a very special dairy business so the career teacher at secretarial school said what the fuck are you going to do and I just I said I don't know um don't know don't know and I, I didn't dare tell her that I just wanted to be outside with you know looking after animals and all, all that because there was no such thing then in those and it was like why don't you want to be a vet well because I obviously don't want to work I don't want to do uh, academia I wasn't academic or intellectual or anything like that so basically she said what do you like doing at home I said well I like cooking and I went into the local bistro or brasserie and um and I was a commie chef and that was brutal that was absolutely brutal um you're sort of doing 17 hour shifts you know down in the cold about 12 hours of those would be down in the cold store you know skinning and filleting fish um, and pe peeling, you know, sacks of potatoes and absolutely freezing your ass off. And then they just threw you up in the kitchen for to do like 70 cover service. And then you've got the sweat coming off your eyelashes, literally, and you're burning your, you know, your head, you lose all your fringe and your eyebrows with the, with the broilers and stuff. And and um, anyway, so yeah, and they just threw you in the deep end. And that was fucking hell. That was terrible. It was like Gordon Ramsay had nothing on this boss. And then um, I was just so disillusioned with everything. So I sort of got in trouble with a boyfriend and stuff and then just didn't know what to do. And, and then I just ended up turning to my best friend's 
brother who we were very close friends and I knew he liked me and, and I sort of said you know and I was fed, fed up with having these rotten boyfriends and stuff and get myself into trouble and we ended up going out and I got pregnant and um, and also it was I felt he was Mr Safety it was like almost marrying someone that you knew because I was so scared because dad was like you've got to work Fiona and I just didn't want to work I was so depressed I didn't know what to do and you know getting bad boyfriends and not being valued and almost was you know it was that you know you've got to work where you find a rich man mm. um you can't stay at home and not work and I was just and I thought I don't want to work I hate work I fucking hate it I'm just gonna have to get married and have my children really quickly and so I did I I, I twisted going out I got pregnant very quickly and then he said let's get married we'll get married in the register office his family complete Lee uh, told him they'd cut him out the will and all this sort of stuff and um and so what happened was I lost the baby a few days before we got married and then it was were well, you still going to get married yes of course we are uh, there's lots of horrendous stuff I won't go into it because it, it but it is also relevant but it's hugely traumatic all of that a, a lot of what you've described is 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 traumatic and could shape someone in one direction or the other. You probably know I've got a birthmark as well. I don't know if you've seen pictures. That makes a hell of a difference to the story as well, because that's just one thing. Obviously, it's a it's a claim and it's a curse, but also it's been a blessing. It's been a, you know, because it gives me compassion for people and animals and the cruelty. So it's a real proper facial disfigurement. And and on one hand, I was a very beautiful girl, and on the other hand, I had it was like a dichotomy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an incredible. Fit and face but then on one side of my face I have this disfigurement it's really weird it's a really weird thing like you walk down the street and the men are whistling at you and then you're scared to turn around for them to see the other side of your face and obviously that all screwed me up and stuff on the honeymoon this is so irrelevant but I'm going to tell you because we're here um, we went to Barbados and it was my husband he was in insurance so I married such the wrong he was in he was a bloody loss adjuster and obviously where they do disaster stuff they have offices all over in basically they have hurricanes and things yeah and so we went stayed in this sort of bit of a shanty town in Barbados and the locals were so disgusting to me on my fucking honeymoon and I just lost a baby um and they were like we literally had sand thrown at us and hounded off beaches and stuff because of the way I looked but can you imagine I remember being in the shower three days into my um I'm gonna cry honeymoon and I was crying and my husband came in my new husband said what's not I want to go home um it was just horrendous so 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 you've had that throughout my life sort of this shit dichotomy thing of being a very beautiful young girl and then, but with that, it, but in a way, it's also, a, you know, an, it's just so weird. It's so two things, you know, you grew up and with these parents that never even acknowledged my depression and, or anything. And it was just like, get out to work. And that obviously scared me out of the house to marry someone that was so unsuitable. I was desperate to get pregnant, desperate, desperate to have what I'd lost. I think I was about 22, maybe 23, desperate to get pregnant. And then I did, thank God fall pregnant because every month, you know. And then what happened was this is where the birthmark does play such a huge role in my life. I was from the neck down, I was brilliant, but something happens to my birthmark when I'm pregnant and it just grows and bleeds and grows and bleeds. And in my mouth, and um, I got very anemic, the bleeding, I couldn't go out, the depression, you can imagine, because mm. I looked so much like shit. And then anyway, I had a baby. Um, and then I had another one very quick. I had three under three. And every time the birthmark really made me poorly. Um, from the next, I was Earth Mother from the next, and that's how I always expected myself to be. 
yeah, you know, complete earth mother, brilliant with my kids and all that stuff, but I was an absolute wreck because of what was happening with my face. Mom, my mother never helped me. I was really struggled with, uh, with bringing up the kids, but I was very, all I was was about the kids. And then I sort of had this terrible burning to like have a small holding or a small farm. My dad actually bought me a, when my kids were really young, he bought me, he did buy me a house cow and we kept it at the house there. And we were looking for small holdings and it was just down there. You can imagine it's stupidly expensive. We went all over the country and I was looking for jobs. I actually got a job in Oxford. I think it's now the, the Stroud my community place now. Um, but my husband wouldn't move there because I got a job to, to do the dairying there. My husband found a place in Suffolk to shut me up. I wanted just a little old rough old bungalow with more more acres than the house, but they found these bloody executive homes because obviously everything was in family trust. So I had no say, and my husband just went just to shut me up. And uh, so that's when we moved up to Suffolk, and then um, I started sort of selling the milk to local neighbours, and we moved all the the small holding up there, and it was all okay. But by this stage, because my husband hadn't been looking after me, I sort of didn't go deeply into that, but. My kids were really hard and I really struggled with postnatal depression, also because of the birthmark and all that stuff with the bleeding from it and the growth that grew. And um, and I, I'd fallen out of love with him, basically. And I knew I wasn't happy and I knew that this was just, again, it was still fake and I felt like a real spoiled bitch because it sort of got this house with... And I didn't want to move there. I said, I don't want to move there, but they'd already bought it. I said, it's not me. It's still fake. And I need more acres. I need to, I want to make a contribution to our family. I want to be able to grow stuff and pay for it. And, you know, and, and a little bit more. And I want to, be able to I don't want to play at it. I just don't want to be playing at it. But I managed to find a place to rent and get the kids with me and then and then I met someone who had a farm and someone told him about me that she does voluntary volunteers on farms and and um, him and I ended up being together we ran the farm together and I learned a lot he was actually manic depressive they call that bipolar now and that ended 12 years ago but we I lived on his farm uh, he bought a plot of land we lived in a caravan the kids were backwards and forwards and seeing their dad and then he had red pole cattle, which were rare breed then. I think they're off the list now. Um, we had all the animals. It was a grass farm. Because of his manic depression, he did crazy things. He could lose. And he was from farming stock. And he was desperate. He wanted it. He was like a hobby farmer. And he wasn't He wasn't embarrassed about being a hobby farmer. And again, we were so different. He was all public school, public school. And he was wild. And um, but and it, kids have to be in, go to boarding school and all this. So I was crazy to go with these people. I was so desperate to farm. Anyway, but he wanted to, uh, obviously there's no property, there's no dwelling on the farm, but he planned if we could make a living out of that farm, um, prove you're making a living, uh, you, get a, you, can, you can get planning permission and build a house. But anyway, so he was planning a beautiful house on here and he got a burger fan. Now it was like, it was a bit like, well, he taught me about, you know, money laundering. It was the opposite to what drug dealers do. You buy a burger van, don't you? And pretend the money came through the burger van, you know, but you're selling drugs. So what he would do was he would, we would go to a farmer's market, we'd go to food festivals and, and festivals and stuff. And where we might have taken 50 quid or 500 quid saying, um, you know, with our beautiful red pole beef burgers, 100% beef burgers, he would pump the money into the farm from his other secret accounts. And of course he had to pay tax, but he 
he was proving he was so he bought that farm for 250,000 by the time I left he then once had children I said I can't my kids my kids would be would be screwed up by it and because the birthmark thing I get so ill and at this stage I think I was in my 40s mm. and then um he went bonkers one night and then I ran away I took the kids and we ran away he said I will hunt you down and he would have done he was very dangerous he was arrested. He tried to burn someone's house down because they said no to him because you didn't never say no to him when he's in that state. I lost everything. I lost, so I lost my home, my job, the, my, the cows. I couldn't stop thinking about the cows because he couldn't look after them, you see. I left him and because of all those risks he used to take, I thought anyone can do what they really want to do. So what I've, what I've managed to do is to turn negatives and really bad experiences into and that's when I thought I have no more time to lose I have to now set up the story I've always wanted it took me two years I had a I was broken for about two years but I moved in with friends into their barn and then I found a little cottage to rent and amazingly and this is what seems to keep happening to me I move in near people all these amazing people just come out of the woodwork my neighbours Alan and Belle um, they just looked after me and I had just friends just helped me just literally sort of stroking my brow you know and they were just amazing friends and these neighbors I moved next to and I said I've got to work I've got to work and they said you've got that bit of divorce money you do not need to work you just sit in your deck chair we're here to talk to a friend gave me her red pole cows to look on after on the local marshes to get better and the local marshes to me and there were cold cows and then I bought myself another because my other cow died another little house cow and I can't tell you how I fell in love with that cow called Bonnie and then um, I bought a little sweet food van with the divorce money and um, I was just getting better by going to the fairs and festivals and meeting people and just getting high on you know the buzz of serving people being at festivals and stuff and with the other with the other street traders that beautiful community you have at all the different markets and and just all and doing ordinary town markets as well and I did burritos and fajitas and wraps and I used a local dairies it wasn't obviously coffee but a local dairies milk and we did milkshakes and that's when I realized that the milkshakes used to sell out by like 11 o'clock and then I thought right now dairy time found myself a bigger house um it had some buildings alan used to come over and help me convert a bus into a bottling shed the old cow buyer things into a little cow shed to milk the cows i by this stage i had i was building up a few dairy cows sally and edward who had that gave me red pole cows to keep me happy they were sort of helping you know the farm something and then i just graduated and i put myself in for the albrook food and drink festival because i kept also you know sitting around and delaying and you know getting just basically putting it off then I put myself in for the Albury Food and Drink Festival which I always used to do anyway with my street food van and with the burger van and it's quite a big one now we were like the first producers ever on there I would have been the very first ever raw milk producer on there I had this like light bulb moment I stepped outside uh, my little street food van outside my house where I was cleaning it and I thought oh my god so all that like the milkshake sells it's one pound a liter i sell it for three pounds a cup i get about three or four cups out of a liter i thought well if people i could actually if i had a few more cows i could probably do all raw milkshakes 
and sell that and actually make, make possibly make money just out of a few cows. But obviously they've got to keep their calves. I was like, can't we, you know, this is the antidote to mega dairy. And then I thought, and that's when I like, had this light bulb moment. It was like micro dairy. And I've never heard that saying before. And people talk about micro dairies all the time now. Oh, it's going to be a micro dairy. And that's when I started ringing around everyone like Helen Browning and all these people and pasture fed livestock association how do i how, what do i do what do i do and they said well we all think you're mad but good luck you said obviously they have to keep their calves and i think we should highlight for people listening that is not the norm so can you believe there are people that don't know that cows have to have a calf to produce milk well and even if you do know that i think it's it's the engaging with what what does that actually mean like you know you can know that fact and i think Lots of people know that fact, but maybe people haven't fully engaged. And, and putting it in the context of a human child, it suddenly gives it a very different spin and very much harder to kind of just excuse, I suppose. And I suppose that when I had my children, that's when I thought, oh, my bloody God. And I suppose that's when the turnaround came. I knew I loved cows. I knew I loved animals. I knew I loved being outside and the wildlife. But I still didn't have that so in a way it was good I had the children young because then you know by the time I fucked off left my husband had a few terrible relationships blah 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 learned so much from that then I was just still young enough people say it happens for a reason well that's a load of bollocks but it did happen for a reason so that was Fiona there of the Calf at Foot Dairy. She's amazing. And uh, next time we will get to her dairy and why it's important and what they do there that is, is different from many other dairies and hopefully what more and more people will do down the line. It was actually a second phone call because we'd been on the phone for a couple of hours chatting about this and that. Uh, and actually I had to go. I had to get, get on. So unfortunately I had to draw the conversation to a close. So we, we sort of connected again a week later via Zoom uh, and we, we had more of a conversation more specifically about the dairy itself. Um, so if you want to know more about uh, Fiona and what she does, uh, have a look at The Calf at Foot Dairy on Instagram. That's The Calf at Foot Dairy on Instagram. And then there's a, a link to their website there and all sorts. Her, her story's on there. The story of the farm is on there. Lots of great videos, uh, lots of fantastic pictures of the people who work with Fiona. Um, yeah, just check it out. It's The Calf at Foot Dairy on Instagram. But look, I'll see you next time for the Selliman Podcast. The Selliman Podcast is produced by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Selliman, go to Selliman Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website, selliman.co.uk. Selliman.